You're listening to the Young Adult Sermon Podcast from First Christian Church. Our hope is that these words bless you, challenge you, and lead you closer to Jesus. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy. We are in our second week of the series, The Sending. And this week, I'm excited as well. Um, In this series, The Sending, uh, it is meant for a couple of reasons. Um, First, it is meant to encourage you. To encourage you to be able to know the Word of God, to be comfortable with it, to be confident in Him. Secondly, to equip you. And thirdly, to send you out as people of God to live and to share the gospel. So with this series, we learned a couple of things already, even just from last week. Uh, Two things specifically. One, that we aren't supposed to be swayed into anything. Do not follow movements made by man. Do not follow after political ideologies or societal movements or anything else that would take precedence over your following of God. Follow God first, as he is the one who remains the same and good. The way I kind of look at it is almost like this, right? God is like right here. He's just the same. It's just who he is. And then as other political movements, as other ideologies, as other things come around its way, it may even like line up with it. It may come into the same camp as where God is. And sure, you may have the same people thinking the same thing for a time, but your following of God takes precedence over anything else. And so when that movement sways, when that movement changes, when things change, as people often do, as history has shown, you will steadfast remain in the Lord, right? So that's the first thing that we learned. And two, if we remain true to Christ, we can love others better, no matter who they are or what they believe in. Because God has loved you before you loved him, and so we ought to love others before they love us. So those were the two things that I think were very profound, at least to me, uh, last week, in learning uh, through Jesus' message, through his teachings, and uh, going over what Paul had to say. This week, we're going to be diving into two different sections of Scripture, so bear with me as we... It's kind of funny, we don't really need the mics, but it's good for the audio online, so (laughs) can we turn it down a little bit? All right, all right. Sweet. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's good online. So it's good when it's like recorded and stuff. So anyways, so this week we're going to be diving into something a little bit more specific, uh, specifically about our own personal identity with Christ and how we operate as a Christian. And then secondly, we, we're going to learn about how it is that we are viewed and looked at, not just viewed and looked at, but how we operate in the midst of non-believers. If I look around and I were to survey the Christians, the type of Christians that we have in the world, I'd say that there's two primary types that we have in America, and they're on completely different ends. One, I'm going to call the the camouflage Christian, the one who is able to blend in pretty well. And and I think that they are able to love others and accept them pretty good, right? Now, the other one is the type of Christian where they're on the other end of the spectrum. They are not camouflaged at all. They're the ones who stick out. They're the ones who are very uh, loud, and they're proud about what they believe and what they think is right. And they're comfortable about sticking out. Now, I, I think it's kind of funny, right? As Christians, we're, we're kind of like the, the tall guy that gets on a plane. 
Uh, my brother, he's 6'6", six, six, okay? And he's like this like 250-pound guy, right? He's, he's way taller than me um, and just way bigger. And so whenever I used to travel with him and stuff, he, uh, it was always awkward with him getting on planes <laughs> because he'd either be slumped over into the guy next to him or he'd be like crunched, just trying so hard to like spare the other person so that they, you know, aren't being squished by him on, on a plane. And, uh, man, even walking through, like, houses or friends' houses, he'd always have to, like, kind of duck, you know, and get through. And as Christians, it's kind of awkward because if we are known as a Christian, we kind of stand out, right? We're kind of like somebody who is tall, and it can be uncomfortable in that sense. Like, people just know that we're there. And so I think you can either be an awkward kind of Christian, you can be, you can be someone who's trying to blend in, and if you're a really real Christian, it's not going to happen. You're not going to be really that camouflaged, even though you might try to be. And so you can either be way proud about it, way loud about it, or you can be on the other end and just try to pretend it's not there, or even maybe sometimes ashamed about it. But I think that there's two, they both have problems. I think that the camouflage Christian may be under the assumption that they're living their life trying to love well. But if they aren't telling others the truth, I don't believe that they're loving them at all. The second one, the Christian who stands out may be telling the truth, exposing it, reveling in it, but there will be no lasting or beneficial change that will come about from it if it's not done with love. In essence, if you're not speaking truth in love, there won't be lasting or good change. And I believe that both of these people are lacking one thing, and that is true love for others. And maybe you can identify yourself as being in one of these ends. Maybe you can identify yourself as being on one end of the spectrum or the other. And I think it's this tightrope that we as Christians follow trying to be accepted and loved in a world where they don't accept and love Jesus, but also loving other people as, as though Jesus would, in, in spite of that unacceptance or unlove. And it can be hard, right? It can be difficult. I, I'm right there with you, and I can tell you just from my own personal experience, the journey that I've walked, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I, I remember personally being uh, someone who didn't give a flip about what other people think, not caring at all. And honestly, at that point, I even had my identity as being placed in a person who was that confident, who, who just didn't care about what others thought. That was my identity. identity. I, I looked at myself and I was like, yep, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. That's me. Yep, I don't care. And nothing good came from it. And then on the other hand, I remember being the guy who never said a word And I fell into the trap of thinking, oh, man, my actions will convert them. My actions will say something. And I think that they do to an extent. I'm not going to dismiss that. But I fell into the trap of thinking, oh, they will know Jesus just by my actions. Just by my actions. And then all of a sudden, I remember hearing someone say to me, oh, you're a Christian? Man, that hurt. That hurt. That was a wake-up call. I don't know if you've been there. Maybe I'm just the only one. Maybe I'm the only one up here who's, like, being totally honest. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But I have been on both ends. Now, we're going to move on a little bit from that uh, into Genesis chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles or Bibles apps, please open up to Genesis chapter 3. 
There's some things that I'm going to mention in this uh, that will relate, uh, as you'll see in a little bit, but hopefully through all of the things that we're talking about tonight, we are able to take away practical uh, perspectives, good, good advice, and things that we can reflect on as we're being sent out. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Pause. What Satan can sometimes do, even through using people, is question what God has spoken to us. And how do we respond? What, what, what happens as us as believers when people come up to us and say, oh, did God really say that? Oh, oh did, did God really hate those people? Why did God commit genocide in the Old Testament? Why did God do all this? What is going to be your response? I think, first off, we need to know what God said from his word. <laughs> I think we need to know what he said in order to identify if what they're saying or what they're portraying about God is even accurate to begin with. See, if someone comes up to, uh, let's, let's say, Abby and say, oh, Kel hates vanilla, vanilla cake, <laughs> vanilla cake. And then she starts saying, well, no, he doesn't. He, lo he loves vanilla cake. Try trying to defend me. Oh, no, she he loves vanilla cake. No, no, he don't. I never said that. I love chocolate. What, the what do you get out of here? You know what I mean? But Abby knows me. She knows what I said. And so just as we as believers, we need to go to the word of God. We need to know what God has said. So if someone's saying just a flat-out lie, we don't need to offend that lie. Oh, no, that's not what God said, right? But if we don't know the, the, the word of God, if we don't know what he has said, there's a problem with that. Let's go into verse uh, 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And what's so sad about this is that Eve got it partially correct. Eve was instructed by Adam because God had instructed Adam. And so it was this game of telephone where God had spoken to Adam, and Adam was supposed to speak to Eve about what God had said, and yet Adam had said something false. And we gather that here. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God originally instructed Adam, saying this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. What happens sometimes is we take other people's words for what God has said instead of actually knowing what God has said himself. When we just rely on what our parents have taught us about God, when we just rely on what the pastor had said about God, it's a dangerous game because sometimes man can get in the way. Man's word can get in the middle. So what happened was Adam said to Eve, don't even touch the fruit. Don't, e don't even touch of it or, or you will die if you do that. So that's what Eve thought. And sure, would you not want to mess with something that's sinful? Of course, yeah, get away from it. Yeah, don't even mess with it. But the point of it, if we take a, a bird's eye view, just step back for a little bit. Man, it's, it's dangerous when we can add our own personal word to what the word of God says. Because of this, because of this. What I found is that too many people in the church is that we start to lose where the line is drawn in the sand 
and where we should not cross. And what I often see is that the problem is, is that we either then completely run away from that line and we seclude ourselves, we shelter ourselves, we go become permanent monks in the mountains, or we go and, and we don't know where the line is, and so we go and try and uh, influence the world or, or take care of it or try and be a light in the world, and we step over it and we start to love it, forgetting where the line is. And so this is another tightrope that we walk. Not only, man, are we going to step out there and not be camouflaged Christians, not only are we going to be the, not, we shouldn't be the loud and proud Christians, we should be the loving Christians. But we also need to know how to love and where that line is, what we believe, and where not to cross it. Romans 12, 2, this is a verse that many people know. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Kel, how do we do this? How, how do we walk these tight ropes, going into the world and loving people, but also telling truth? We do it by the Spirit. We do it by our submission to the Spirit. Moses was actually both at one point, uh, different ends of the spectrum as well. Here's what I mean. If you don't know what the story of Moses is, let me summarize for you the beginning of the story. Moses was a man who was born to, in Egypt to Hebrew parents who set him afloat on the Nile in a reed basket to save him from a law that was calling for the death of all newborn Hebrew babies, baby boys. And so what happened was the mother put Moses on, on a raft, on a reed thing, raft, reed basket, I'm sorry, and sent him down the river. And he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, and so he was brought up in the Egyptian royalty. But he still knew he was a Hebrew. Forty years go by until one day he saw a brutal Egyptian taskmaster beating a fellow Hebrew, and so he struck the Egyptian and killed him. Afterwards, he fled to a place called Midian, where he was able to start a family and remain there for another 40 years. So check this out. Moses was on, at one point on fire, and he knew what the truth was. He stuck out. He was a Hebrew person who was in the, raised in the household of an Egyptian family, the, the royalty. And then one day he saw one of his fellow Hebrew people being beaten by a, a harsh Egyptian. So what does he do? He, he kills that Egyptian. He was on fire because he knew what was right, and he, and he took things into his own hands, and, and he, he did that act. He was on fire. He knew what to do. He had so much ambition. Think about it. He was willing to kill somebody, even though he was known and, he, and that he might potentially have his life on the line because of what he did. But he's willing to risk it. But then, when he saw nothing had happened and that God hadn't done anything, he eventually heard that Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And so he fled to Midian where he blended in and had a family where he remained for 40 years. But then, after that, something happened to good old Grandpa Mo. All right, turn to, turn to Exodus, uh, if you will, chapter 3, all right? Let's, let's look at this here. Chapter 3, verse 4. Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. I know, we're skipping around a lot today, I'm sorry. I just thought this was really cool. So, chapter 3, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, oh, sorry, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look at, at this bush, because it was caught on fire, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. 
Moses said, here I am. Before Moses was going to be sent to rescue the people of Israel, he needed to know by whom and how. So after verse 4, God pretty much instructed Moses. He said, hey, I've heard the cries of my people. I'm going to call you to go and rescue the, the Hebrew people out of Egypt, Egypt's hand. And so this is what's going to happen. So skip down to verse 11 for me. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Pause. Many times through scripture, you will see how God calls to him those who appear to be the least likely. Grandpa Mo is a grandpa, all right? He's 80 years old. Crazy. He's 80 years old and, and was diminished. Like his, his fire that he once had dwindled completely out, like gone. And God called him. And what I love about his, this next verse is God says this. God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God never answered Moses' question of who am I? What Moses needed to know was who God was. God said, I will be with you. And oftentimes when we're going out, when we're talking to unbelievers or people who are questioning God, it's not about who you are. It's not about who you are. It's about who God is because he is with you. And it is him who is working through you. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? As I was studying this part of scripture, uh, many people have found that, that they thought Moses was like countering to God, being like, oh, what do I say? Like, this is, you know, I'm really scared of, of what man would say. Whereas I believe that might be the case, but I also believe that this is a good question of who are you? Who do I say that you are? In the Bible, many times people have encountered God by different names, if you didn't know that. With the early patriarchs of the, of the faith, especially. Take, for example, Abraham, uh, Genesis 14, 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the God, to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth. God went by the God most high. Another verse in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, God calls himself, I am God Almighty. Another place, God says in Genesis chapter 21, verse 33, eternal God. Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, the Lord will provide. In Genesis 16, verse 13, he says to Hagar, the one who sees me. That is who God is to Hagar. Isn't that powerful? The one who sees me. So God has gone by so many different names. He has all these different attributes that these names point to. And so God had said to Moses in verse 14 then, he says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. There's no one else like our God. There's nothing to compare him to. When you put God's name on one side of the equation with the equal sign on this side, there's only I am that can be on the other side of it. There's I am the I am. I am who I am. You can't equate anything else to the living God because he is who he is. And what's so powerful about God saying this to Moses is that I am everything you need. I am everything 
that you could ever possibly need. I am enough. That's powerful. That's powerful. And what's cool about this, too, is that this isn't a new name. This name is connected to the name Yahweh, which wasn't unknown or a new name, but God was calling his people back by this name, by the name that they had known early on. That's so cool to me. And this is the name of the Lord God that we can know and have a relationship with even now. He is everything that you need. As we are exploring what it means to be sent out, as we're exploring how we are to go about in the business that we do, going into the workplace, going into school, and even into our own families, God is saying, I am everything that you need. I am who I am. And you'll be sent out by his strength, by him. And you can trust in that. Again, as we're talking about the different tight ropes that we walk, right? Walking the tight rope of being, telling the truth but in love. As being a Christian who is not afraid to, to get with people, to talk with people. Not to run away from where the line is drawn, but to be right where people are, not crossing it. Being in the world but not of it. Jesus says this prayer in John chapter 17. This is where I'm going to last leave it, so if you want to flip to me there. This is a long prayer, but I think it's a powerful one. As I say this prayer, I would love for you guys to, to pray along with me. Chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Just real quick, Jesus is talking about, he's praying to God right before he gets crucified. So this prayer that is recorded here is really important because it's something that means a lot to him right before this powerful moment. It says this, verse 6. I've revealed to you, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I have given them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They, they knew with certainty that I came from you and they have believed that you have sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By that name you gave me, none of them have been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is that you not take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. 
Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus continues, and and the next prayer, I encourage you guys to to read. Uh, It goes into this next part where he prays not just for those believers that are with them then, but for all believers, and he mentions that. But I think what is so cool is that that same God, who is the I am, is Jesus. And he is praying for us on behalf of us to the Father. And so when you feel like you're not enough, that you are in the world and that you're facing the things of it and that those things are terrible and hard, know that God is there for you. That he is your I am. Everything that you need. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the the second week of the series, The Sending God, that we are able to just reflect on your word, to know your word, and to be able to send out, to live it, and to spread it. Jesus, I pray that you would invoke in our hearts everything that you want us to have, O God, concerning the knowledge of you, concerning the relationship with you, O God. I pray that, Jesus, you would just convict us of the areas in which we need to change, whether we are a camouflaged Christian or, or one on the other end where we're too loud and too proud. God, I pray that you'd break down our pride, that you'd give us more love, that you'd break down our fear, give us more love. Jesus, we thank you and we love you, for you have overcome the world on behalf of us. We give everything to you in Jesus' name.